Hello and welcome to Nudge the Consumer Psychology Podcast. I'm your host, Phil Agnew, and in today's episode, we look at why marketers in general are so bad at positioning. All of us know bad positioning when we see it. We hear companies talk about benefits that customers couldn't care less about. And we read ads for products that promote features that consumers will never use. There are hundreds of examples of poor positioning that I could have used to highlight this, but the one that really comes to mind is from Rory Sutherland's book, Alchemy. In the book, Rory asks his readers to imagine if miso soup didn't exist. Now imagine if your daughter invented a perfect-tasting miso soup all by herself one morning. If you were to try this miso soup created by your daughter you'd probably spit it out and you'd tell her to stay clear of the spice drawer. Positioning dramatically changes how we perceive products and services. It provides the context we need to understand what the product is and what to expect. Without positioning, products and services that we enjoy, like miso soup, could completely fail. To help us understand all of this, I've invited positioning specialist April Dunford on the show. April is a globally recognized expert in positioning and market strategy. She has launched 16 products to market across her 25-year career as a VP of marketing. Her book, Obviously Awesome, is one of the best-selling books on positioning and a must-read for marketers. Here's April kicking off by talking about the confusion most marketers have about positioning today. The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct to consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C pod wherever you get your podcasts. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. Sure. Well, you know, positioning, it is a really misunderstood concept. And when you think about it, that's kind of surprising because it's not new. It's been around since the 80s and you would think that we would know what it is. But my experience is if I get a room of senior product people or senior marketing people together and I say define positioning, I get a dozen different answers. And I think part of the confusion 
confusion comes from the fact that positioning is made up of a bunch of component piece parts. And we can talk a bit about that. But when I talk about positioning, I generally start by talking about what positioning is not. And people are often surprised. So I'll say, yeah, positioning, you know what? It's not the same thing as messaging. It's not the same thing as your tagline. It's not the same thing as your vision. It's not the same thing as your why as a company. <laughs> and my personal pet peeve is brand positioning. I get that one the most. They'll say, yeah, yeah, positioning, brand positioning. And I'll be like, hmm. You know, there's branding and there's positioning. And those two things are actually really, really separate. I think that people confuse positioning with things that you do with positioning immediately once you have it or outputs of positioning, but you kind of got to get the positioning first to do any of those things. Like how do I do branding if I don't know who the branding is for and what value you're trying to embody? Positioning isn't branding. It's not pricing. It's not what you put on your website. As April says, we're quick to think of positioning as the outcomes from our marketing, but instead positioning is fundamental to all our marketing work. So what actually is positioning? My definition of positioning is, um, it kind of goes like this. So positioning defines how your offering is uniquely qualified to deliver some kind of value that a well-defined set of customers cares a lot about. Now, I wish I had a more succinct way of defining it <laughs> because that's a bit of a mouthful, but I'm trying to capture five things in that definition. This is positioning will define who is your competitive alternative is. So who do you compete with? It defines how you're different from those competitors in terms of your capabilities. It defines what your differentiated value is. It defines who exactly is this value important to? So what's your ideal customer profile or who are you targeting? And then the last thing is your market category or you know what market is it that you intend to win? Positioning defines those five things. We can't do anything in marketing and sales until we have a crisp definition of those five things. That's what positioning is. As April says, positioning defines how your offering is uniquely qualified to deliver value that a defined set of customers care a lot about. In her book, April talks about how great positioning gives customers the context they need to understand what you offer. A company with crisp and clear positioning will help consumers quickly understand the context around the product. With this context, customers can glean little clues to quickly determine what it is you offer, how much you should cost, how they'd used your tool without needing lots of information. April calls this context setting. I asked her why it's so important. This idea of context setting came to me, like, you know, one of the problems of being a positioning expert is that nobody knows what positioning is. So you're this expert in this thing that nobody really gets. So the first thing you got to do is kind of explain it to people and make it resonate. And often I'm dealing with uh, you know, I'm working with technical founders that don't have a background in marketing. And so if I start yabbing on about segmentation or, you know, even market category stuff, their eyes glaze over and they're like, I don't you stop giving me all your marketing mumbo jumbo. <laughs> Just tell me what it is. I, uh, I, I used to have lots of different analogies for positioning, but I have a handful that I really like, but this idea of context setting, I think sort of explains it the best. The way I, I like to explain it to CEOs is I'll be like, 
it's like the opening scene of a movie. So, so, so let's say, you know, you walk into the movie theater, you walk in off the street, you sit down, lights go down, opening scene happens. And if you notice this in American movies, almost every American movie starts with a panic shot of the city skyline. So you'll be like, Ooh, city skyline. Ooh, Golden Gate Bridge. We're in San Francisco. Or it's like, oh, Empire State Building. We're in New York. And then it'll kind of zoom down into the neighborhood and you'll get to see cars and buildings. So you'll get an idea of what time frame it is. You know, are the cars old or is it present day or is it the future? And then you'll start seeing some character and you usually get a bit of a feel for the lead character, usually in the opening few minutes. So like the example I always give is Apocalypse Now. Like it starts with this shot of the beach and it's all nice and there's palm trees and the music's all tinkly and you're like oh this looks nice maybe this is not apocalypse right now maybe it's apocalypse like half an hour now from now and then all of a sudden the music starts to get a little bit more intense you get a little bit of like hey is that dust maybe you know it's smoke and then the helicopter goes flying by and then boom, they set the beach on fire and you're like, oh yeah, here we are in the middle of the war. It is apocalypse right now. And then it switches, the scene switches to Martin Sheen in his hotel room, right? So he's in the hotel room and 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 we see that it's his memories, right? So he's in the hotel room and his hotel room looks like crap and he's drinking and he's smoking and he's clearly in distress and he walks over to the window and he peeks out the blinds and you get the first line of dialogue in the movie, which is his thoughts. And he says, Saigon, shit, I'm still only in Saigon. Every time I think I'm going to wake up back in the jungle. So here we are, we're two and a half minutes into this movie. And we know a lot. Like we know, we know we, we're, we're in the middle of the Vietnam War. We're very specifically, we're in Saigon. Our lead character has been there before and he's got full on PTSD and he's in distress. And we know how to feel about this movie. Like this movie is not going to be a laugh riot, you know, and now we can settle in and pay attention to the details of the story because we can orient ourselves and we can interpret everything else that happens without having to say, where are we? What's going on? Who's this? Whatever. Positioning does the same kind of thing. Like it helps get customers pointed in the right direction and sort of oriented so they can figure out what's differentiating about you. This context setting is so vital because without it, all of your messaging, pricing, features and branding will be misinterpreted. April gives a great example of this misinterpretation in her book. She talks about Joshua Bell, a world-famous American violinist. Joshua regularly sells out concert halls where tickets cost more than $300 a night. His shows can easily generate half a million dollars in revenue just in an evening. But researchers wanted to see what would happen if you placed Joshua in a different context, out of the concert hall. For the test, researchers asked Joshua to play the violin outside a busy subway station in Washington, D.C. during the morning commute. Would Joshua's brilliance stand out? Or would this complete change in context mean he went unnoticed? Joshua Bell performed for 45 minutes. In that time, 1,070 commuters passed by, and of those, only 27 gave him money, and only 7 paused to listen. His total earnings for this concert weren't half a million, no, they were just $32. Context matters. 
Here's April giving an example of how context can help or hinder your marketing. So if I go in and I say, hey, I got this product and it's email. And that's all I tell you. Like the minute I say email, you're like, oh, you, you just made a whole bunch of assumptions. You're like, well, who do I compete with? Gmail. What do I cost? You're free. What, what features have you got? You got, a, you got a calendar. You got an inbox. You got a spam filter, right? But if I came in and said, hey, I got this thing and it's chat. 99% feature overlap, like basically the same product, totally different set of assumptions, totally different context. Like, oh, chat. Oh, well, you chat. That's different, right? I, I don't have spam filter. I don't have a calendar. I, you know, maybe it's free, maybe it's not. Completely different competitors. That shift in context, it just shifts the starting point. This is how positioning works. If I come in and I do a good job of setting this context, then I just save marketing and sales a lot of work. Like, I don't have to tell you who my competitor is. It's assumed. I don't have to list every single feature. Half that stuff is table stakes. I could probably take a guess at the pricing and a whole bunch of stuff, right? So everything's easy. I, I kind of get it. Yeah, now just tell me the special stuff about you because I get what you are now. I just need to know the differentiating stuff. But unfortunately, it works the same if we mess it up. So if we do a bad job and we position the product in a context where it sets off a set of assumptions about my product that aren't true, now I got marketing and sales having to do an awful lot of work saying, undoing the damage your positioning has already done. Like, so, you know, I use that example specifically because once I worked with this company and they described themselves as email for lawyers. And so everybody just assumed they compete with Gmail and everybody just assumed they're free and everybody just assumed they had a calendar and they didn't have any of that stuff. <laughs> and what they really were, what was really special about them was they had this kind of secret sauce feature that was that would that allowed the lawyers to collaborate with their clients and so it was really about collaboration so if they reposition themselves as team collaboration well all the all the assumptions are different it's like well no you don't compete with gmail and yeah we're going to pay money for that because we pay money for slack and you probably compete with slack and your team collaboration for lawyers so i expect you to have some fancy collaboration stuff oh gee that's exactly what you got so this is what this positioning needs to do. It needs to kind of just orient you in the right direction so that you're not spending the entire sales call or marketing tactic or whatever saying, no, no, we're not that. No, we're not. No, not. No, stop thinking that. No, we're not that either. Before you actually get to the good stuff. It's like, well, you're halfway there already. And now you can just focus on the stuff that makes you different and better. Just last week, I announced the launch of the Science of Marketing course, and I couldn't be happier with the response. Heaps of you have got in touch to join the waiting list and get access, so thank you. I can't wait to hear what you think. The course is built to help every Nudge listener understand the science behind great marketing. It walks through each stage of the marketing funnel, highlighting how consumer psychology can be used to improve your marketing, whether you work at a one-person startup or a large multinational. With five hours of video content and 52 bite-sized lessons, it's guaranteed to teach you something new. If you like Nudge, you'll love this course, so please do go and check it out. 
Access is completely free, but the waiting list is getting quite long, so don't hesitate to sign up today. Click the link in the show notes or head to scienceofmarketing.teachable.com to sign up. When it comes to setting context with positioning, one company I admire is Loom. Loom is a video recording service that lets you record videos of yourself and of your screen to quickly share with colleagues. Now, conventional marketing wisdom would say that Loom is a video recording tool. So you might expect them to highlight all the things that a good video recording tool needs. Things like video quality, the amount of storage or the audio options. You'd expect them to compete with QuickTime and you might think they should be available without an internet connection, for example. But no, Loom position themselves very differently. Instead, they position themselves as a replacement for a 30-minute meeting. That's their competitor. Their competitor isn't QuickTime. This subtle change in positioning completely changes the expectations. Suddenly, buyers don't care about video quality. They just care about how easy it is to share their videos. Buyers don't need heaps of storage. They just need a comments feature to get instant feedback on their presentation. And instead of needing different audio options, they just want a URL that they can instantly get after their video is created so they can quickly send it and share it with a colleague. Loom now has over 1.2 million daily active users in just two and a half years since launching. Growth that wouldn't have been possible without this context setting. But Loom is a unique example. Unfortunately, most marketers really struggle with positioning. Now, this baffles me because most marketers have spent years studying positioning, either on the job or at university. So I asked April, why do so many marketers struggle? Well, you know, I think we struggle with positioning because we tend to be really, really focused on tactics. And everybody wants us focused on tactics, you know, like, uh, like people will come up to you and say, like, give us the Facebook ads, man, why aren't we running the Facebook ads? And, <laughs> and we're, you know, and if you just surf around on the internet, all the articles and everything else, everybody's talking about tactics and how do we optimize tactics? Uh, and sometimes that's because the marketing team maybe doesn't have a lot of impact on the inputs or they think they don't. They think this stuff is sort of a given. They're like, well, we're, you know, we just, you know, my, my boss or the CEO or the founder came and said, look, this is, the, this is the target market. This is the ideal customer profile. Just make me some marketing campaigns to go after that. And so we don't necessarily get this idea that, you know what, if we've got that wrong, all our tactics are going to suck. <laughs> but we often don't feel like we have control over that. We're a bit like, People just want me to hack some growth here, man. (laughs) And I don't get to decide what the product is and who we're going after necessarily. Um, So I think that a lot of times we get, or at least the impression I get from marketers is they're a bit like, you know, this isn't my job. Like, I I don't get to decide that stuff. But here's the reality I came to when I was a VP marketing. The reality I came to was, Even if my CEO doesn't think that's my job to decide who the target market is and, you know, what market is it we intend to win, if I don't get that right, then it means the inputs to all my stuff are weak 
And the outputs are going to be weak. Like in, in, in programming, we call this garbage in, garbage out. If, it, if it's crap going in, it's just crap coming out the other side. So what, what became clear to me early in my career, as a, or at least after my first couple senior jobs, was people might not think it's my job, but I can't do my job without this stuff being clear. So I'm going to have to drive an effort. If I think positioning is weak, I'm going to have to drive an effort to fix it. And I'm going to have to do that by working with the CEO, working with the head of sales, working with the head of product. It's a team sport. And so I don't necessarily get to own making the decisions, but somebody's got to own fixing this stuff because if it doesn't get fixed, uh, who, who gets to blame? Me, because my tactics are failing. <laughs> In her book, April refers to this as the status quo bias. We all know this bias. It's the idea that we don't want to change something because it has always been that way. Perhaps your company has always targeted a certain customer or always talked about a certain feature. All that work creates sunk costs that make it tough to challenge and change. Another problem is that sometimes the effects of bad or good positioning aren't even obvious to us. On a day-to-day level, it can be really tough to determine if your work is failing or succeeding due to positioning. Here's April explaining an example of why this is from earlier in her career. This this is the way I thought about this early in my career. After, so I had this job and I was running marketing and and I was a hotshot and everything I touched turned gold. It was awesome. And part of it was we had this amazing, crisp, fancy positioning. It was so good. And, and when your positioning is really tight like that and you're the right product at the right time, everything you touch feels like magic, like stuff that shouldn't work is working. It's amazing, right? And then, I, and then we got acquired and I had to stick around for a bit, whatever. Then I pop out and I go to the next one, right? So I'm still pretty convinced I'm pretty hot stuff. So I get to the next job and you know the, the, the CEOs give me the pitch about here's, here's what we are and here's what we compete with and here's how we're different and this is the value and whatever. And I'm looking at it going, poof, that doesn't sound awesome, but you know what? That's not my job to figure that out. My job is you give me whatever you got. I'm going to apply my marketing super genius to it and I'm going to weave gold out of that straw. That's, that's how I saw my job. And what happened was, you know, next thing you know, three months later, I'm up nights and weekends. I'm grinding out stuff that should be working, that isn't working. I'm killing myself. My team's killing themselves. You know, and all we're doing is polishing the poo. That's all we're doing. It's like we got we got poo coming in and we got slightly fancier poo coming out the other end of this process. And that's it. And so after months of doing this, finally, I'm like, you know what? We can't, like, there is no marketing genius that can turn lousy positioning into something good. Like, we got to have good stuff in order to, and, and it doesn't matter how great we are at tactics. It doesn't matter how smart we are. It doesn't matter how many years experience we got or whatever. If the inputs are bad, the outputs are bad. And so from that point forward, I was like, I cannot continue to accept poopy positioning like if the ceo comes and says here's the thing april and i look at it and say nope not today <laughs> we're gonna have to fix this otherwise i'm not gonna be able to do my stuff you're not gonna be happy i'm not gonna be happy nobody's gonna be happy so we got to fix this first before we go downstream and fix the rest of it the point here is that good positioning is the bedrock behind good marketing 
With it, all of your marketing is elevated, but without it, all of your marketing will struggle. Yet many marketers don't focus on positioning. Rather than fix the root problem, we try different tactics. We test out different messaging. We change the advertising channel all to no avail. As April says, the best marketers won't even start working on tactics until they know the positioning is right. So how can you create effective positioning at your company? Well, that is a discussion for the next episode of Nudge. So join us in two weeks for that. Thank you so much for listening today. April and I, as I said, will be back in two weeks to tackle the five components of effective positioning. We'll talk through April's work and give you the tools you need to create positioning that really resonates. In the meantime, you can go and pick up a copy of April's book, Obviously Awesome, by clicking the link in the show notes. You can also make sure that you don't miss the next episode by hitting subscribe on your podcast player or by signing up to the Nudge email mailing list by going to nudgepodcast.com or by clicking the link in the show notes. That's all from me today. If you have any questions about today's show, please do get in touch with me. You can reach me on nudgepod at gmail.com. I respond to every email on there, so please do get in touch. And remember to tune in next fortnight to April's brilliant framework to create great positioning at your company. Thanks for listening. <laughs>